0: God, what an incredible honor it is to come and proclaim your great name. And so, God, we just join together and we just declare your greatness in our lives, God, this morning. God, that we are able to know that, God, that your name is greater than the coronavirus. God, your name is greater than, God, any difficulties that we are facing. God, your name is greater than, than anything that we may come against god your name is greater than our fears and our anxieties god your name is great in our minds and our hearts god and we just proclaim that this morning god and we are just so thankful that god that we can come and celebrate that your great name today god we love you and we praise you this morning in jesus name amen if you will, turn in your Bibles this morning to Zechariah chapter 9. As we reflect on Palm Sunday this morning, uh, I want us to go and look at Zechariah chapter 9, where we find the prophecy with regards to Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And in Zechariah chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 9, this is what the Word of God declares. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, which is a word for Israel, the northern kingdom, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant... I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man." In reflecting upon this passage, in preparing for the message this morning, I was reminded of one of my favorite movies, which is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is in this movie where we see our fearless hero, the archaeologist Indiana Jones, as he's pursuing uh, this great treasure. And he finds himself in one of the last scenes of the film, in this room filled with cups or chalices and goblets and they have to make a choice as to which cup they're going to use to drink out of. And the bad guy, of course, is looking at finding the most extravagant cup because this was the cup that Jesus supposedly had used and drunk out of at the Last Supper. And as he's purveying and he's looking, he's looking for a cup that is worthy of a king. So he's looking for something extravagant and he finds this one that is covered in jewels and gold. And he grabs this cup and he drinks out of it. And as he's drinking of the cup, of course, he pays the punishment because he chose the wrong cup and he dies this horrible death. And the knight that is standing there guarding this room looks at Indiana Jones and the others in the room and he says, He chose poorly. And so it becomes Indiana Jones' turn to be able to find the right cup to drink out of. That is the cup that Jesus supposedly drank out of at the Last Supper. He looks at all of these different chalices around the room and he finds what appears to be the most plain and the most uh, just homely and just simple cup. And he identifies it as the cup of a carpenter. And he drinks out of that cup, and as he does, of course, he is not, uh, he is uh, experiences healing, and and it is there that the knight looks at Indiana Jones and says, "You have chosen wisely." Each and every one of us, every day, have choices to make as to our the standards and the values and what we are going to deem valuable, and we reflect upon. Uh, even Israel, and for generations, Israel had been searching for a king, a king that was going to make them equal with the nations around them. They wanted a king that was going to be stately and royal and full of majesty and splendor. They wanted a king like the other nations. And so the Psalms are even filled with all of these descriptions of the king that they were looking for a king that was going to be victorious, a king that was going to rule over all the nations of the earth, and a king that was going to to be full of justice, and, and it was going to be a, a king that was going to redeem the, the powerless and to save them and to deliver them. And these extravagant expectations, of course, were all ultimately even describing uh, you know, what they were looking for and hoping for. But as history played itself out, we understand that that was not the king that God had intended. You see, like the scene from Indiana Jones, Israel, the people of Israel they were looking for a king that was going to, uh, on the outside, look like the kind of king that, that everybody else had. And it was going to be something that was going to be impressive and royal. But you see, what God looked at was something very different than what the Israelites were looking at. And while they were wanting a, uh, an earthly king that was going to lead them into deliverance and victory, God knew really what the world... And the nation of Israel needed, and so we even see this being played out and, and communicated to us in First Samuel, as uh, the prophet Samuel is looking for the the, the king that uh, that he's going to give to uh, the nation of Israel. And this, of course, is going to be King David at this time. And in First Samuel chapter sixteen, God gives these instructions to Samuel as he goes to look for David, and he says, "Do not consider his appearance or his height." For the Lord does not look at the things that people look at, for people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It is here that we understand that instead of trying to be like the other nations, what Israel really needed to be concerned with was being able to capture and to get a glimpse into the heartbeat of God. And that is the same for you and I, that rather than trying to look at the world around us and the compare, playing a comparison game with the people that uh, we do life with or the people on social media, that we are looking and more concerned with the, uh, the looking to God and capturing His heartbeat during uh, this season of being uh, isolated and all of that that's going on with it, it becomes very easy for us to find a new normal. And if you're like Tina and I, we're always uh, enjoying looking at at people's posts on Facebook or, or Instagram and enjoying seeing how different people are adapting and responding, what the new normal looks like for each and every one of you out there. Uh, But it's also been one of those things that we've had to really uh, check ourselves because there have been times that we have seen uh, things that people are able to do and it seems like some of you out there are flying and soaring and succeeding incredibly well during this season And, and whether it's homeschooling or whether it's dealing with the fears and the anxieties and, and all that comes with this season of, of what we're facing uh, we uh, have struggled with real uh, f- feeling as if we are failing miserably sometimes and we look at how some uh, are seem to be succeeding in such an incredible way and if we're not careful we find ourselves uh, putting ourselves down or feeling uh, poorly and it really impacting how we feel about ourselves but I want to challenge and I don't know if you're like uh, Tina and I in that way of, of being tempted sometimes and playing a comparison game, but do not compare yourself to one another. Social media is one of the worst places for this to happen because we get these glimpses, that is, uh, we get a perfect glimpse into a snapshot of life, and, and we read all these other things into it, but what God wants us to do is to, just like the nation of Israel, not looking for the most majestic thing, to like the scene in Indiana Jones, to not look for what we think life should look like, but rather being able to say, God, I want my heart, my family, my mind and to be able to be in line with you, God, and your word. That I don't want to live a comparison game with the world, but God, I want to be able to strive for you and to strive for you alone so that no matter what is going on in life, that God, I know that you're looking at the heart and that's where I want to be able to find myself and I hope that you are as well. You see, because we are not going to be defined by the labels that the world puts on us. So we're not going to be defined by even what life looks like on social media, but rather we're going to be defined and always will be defined by what God says and declares over every single one of our lives. You see, He declares who we are, and He declares and says that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God is the one who declares that we have been made in His image, that we are a reflection of the creator of the universe, and what an incredible statement that that is about you and I, and that no matter what we think, About ourselves, or what other people think about us. Oh, what we can come and understand is that God does not look at the things that man looks at, but He looks at our heart. And so let us surrender everything to Him and say, God, I am choosing to stand today on the belief and the knowledge and the faith that God, that you have declared me, me you that are listening and watching this morning to, be, to know that we are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves us, that we are able to say that, God, you have forgiven us and cleansed us, and that, God, we don't have to be bound by the things from our past, that we don't have to be defined by the standards or the accusations or the labels of this world, but we can say, oh, that, God, that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we have been created to be mighty men and women of God, and that today on this Palm Sunday, that if nothing else, that we can come this morning and be reminded uh, that God has looked at us and redeemed us and declared Himself as King in our lives and with Him as our King, oh, if He is for us, who could ever be against us? And so this morning as we look at this passage, it is the understanding that throughout history, God, and throughout the biblical history, God was using the prophets to try to recenter and refocus the people of Israel. We see him trying to get their attention and draw them back to him and to be able to uh, value the things that he valued rather than looking at the, the other nations and the, and the world and, and, and the other things that were around them. And so in this, though, the prophets begin to give this new sense of what life is supposed to be like and the Messiah specifically, the king, and what his king is supposed to be. Isaiah talks about a king that is going to be coming out of the line of David that's going to establish peace and justice. Jeremiah is used by God to communicate and to promise a righteous branch that is going to come out of David's line, who is going to have a righteousness in a time of peace. And it is through the prophet Micah that God uses to identify David's hometown of Bethlehem as the uh, source, as the place where this king is going to come out of. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. This, uh, this insignificant place of Bethlehem is going to be the place where the king is going to be born. And it is here that in that same line that we find Zechariah's promise and prophecy that declares that uh, there's going to be some good news. There's going to be some good things that are going to come through this king. And the prophecy here is that this king is going to ride into Jerusalem and the people are going to shout and rejoice and to declare victory and that their king is going to come to them. I think it's amazing that we look and we find and serve a king who is not just going to be distant and afar off, afar off, but he declares here in Zechariah 9 that he is going to come to us. One of the truths of Palm Sunday is just that. The reminder that God loved the world and loves you and I so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, here to this earth so that the king came to us. We're not having to climb some incredibly hard mountain. We're not having to jump over any hurdles or have to go through some sort of ninja warrior kind of obstacle course to try to get to God or to try to get to salvation, but rather God says the king is going to come to us. And what an incredible fulfillment that Palm Sunday is and that Jesus has not only come, but he rode into Jerusalem, with an incredible celebration and rejoicing by the people. And there are three truths that we're going to look at in Zechariah chapter 9 about Palm Sunday that I want us to be mindful of this morning. Promises that ring true not just for the people of Israel, but ring true for you and I today. The first truth that we understand is that God promises victory. Victory. Uh, that, and understand the background of this passage in the scripture here is that the people of Israel uh, had been defeated and taken into captivity uh, and they had been living in, uh, in, in Babylon. The, the Babylonians had, had conquered them and, and, and carted them off and they had to leave everything that they knew. They had to leave the promised land. And after 70 years, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and they were freed and allowed to return back to Jerusalem. And so they thought that what they had been looking so forward to was going to be the answer to all their prayers. But the reality was is that return to Jerusalem was filled with difficulties and it was filled with enemies and battles. But yet what God declared is victory. And God declared victory and the promise of that victory, even in Zechariah chapter nine, He calls them and identifies Israel as He says, "O daughter of Zion, this term of endearment, is, we have to understand that Zion is the mountain that Jerusalem is built and is sits, sitting upon, so that uh, Jerusalem and, and Zion become synonymous here, and that there is this cause, there is this rejoicing. Uh, by the people, that they are declaring him, and they are declaring what we find in is that this king has come. Um, and the king that is able to be present, right here in the Palm Sunday narrative in the Gospels. In fact, all four of the Gospels account for uh, Palm Sunday. And here it is, this king. This king in question is not just an earthly king, but he is a messiah, a messianic king. He is identified this messiah in Psalms as anointed or the Son of God or seated at the Lord's right hand. And In Matthew chapter 21 uh, and verse 9, we read that this messiah, this king, is riding into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And as he is, the people are crying out, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Uh, This declaration, this proclamation of save us, Hosanna, save us. And the victory, though, looks and feels very different than anything they had ever thought would happen. They were looking for a a victor to lead them and to defeat the Romans and to lead them out of uh, captivity, to lead them beyond uh, the earthly oppressors Oh, but you see, God saw something far greater. He saw the true meaning of what victory was really all about. And I want to encourage us this morning that it's not about what we think victory is, but it's about what God declares victory to be in our lives. They were looking for a king to ride in on this incredible stallion, to be this warrior that was going to defeat the the Romans and defeat all of the oppressors and the enemies that had come against them. But instead, Jesus rides in on the back of a donkey. A donkey that doesn't even have all of the, the right riding uh, equipment. Instead, it's the cloaks of the disciples that are laid across the donkey that Jesus is sitting on to ride into Jerusalem. Certainly not one that is requiring fanfare or majestic or royalty or splendor. But it is yet still the King that God has sent. The King, the Messiah, the Savior. And so they have come and they celebrate on this Palm Sunday. And as we look into it, we see them declaring Hosanna, Hosanna. To have the Messiah entering into and writing in Jerusalem. In fact, of all of the life of Christ here on earth, this is the one time that we see Jesus being magnified in some sort of magnificent way. And so here that people are, waving their palm branches, laying their clothing across the road as He's entering into Jerusalem, and they are declaring Him as Hosanna, as Savior. And they are declaring that He has come to be and to promise and to deliver a victory. And so as they celebrate, they're celebrating the destruction of enemies. They're celebrating the the triumphant return of a king into their presence. And so there is something, though, unusual. And they recognize that. There's something unusual about this Jesus. And as he's riding in, he's coming in humble. He's coming in riding on the back of this donkey. But we have to make sure that we understand, make no mistake about it, that this truly is the King. This is the King of all kings. This is uh, the King of all the earth, the King of all the all creation. This is the King of our hearts, the King of our redemption. This is who Jesus is as He's riding into Jerusalem. And so on this Palm Sunday, well, we need to invite Jesus to be able to ride into our hearts and our minds and our lives and our families, our living room right here and right now and say, God, oh, we need you to come in and move upon us and be our king, be our savior, be our deliverer, and be king of everything within our lives. To be king of our attitudes, to be king of our thought life, to be king of our uh, habits and our actions and our activities, to be king of the words that we use to speak to one another. And we need to say, God, you truly are king of all kings. That you are that one who is the king of our redemption, let us make no mistake. Let us be able to say, God, oh, you are the king of my life. You are the king of my heart. And truly, I crown you king this morning on Palm Sunday. And so he promises us victory in Zechariah 9 and through Palm Sunday. But he also promises a freedom for prisoners. In verse 11, he talks about, and I want to revisit verse 11 of Zechariah 9. He says, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The covenant. The covenant that God had established with the people of Israel was a blood covenant uh, that we look back all the way to, to Abraham. And it was God that entered into this covenant with Abraham and it was a blood that was sealed. It was ratified, if you would, by the by blood of a sacrifice. And that covenant God made with Abraham, a promise to bless him and to be able to lead him and to provide and give him an abundance of, of generations beyond him. This blessing and this covenant that God entered, He continued or renewed this covenant through Moses and through Joshua and through Hezekiah and through Josiah and through David and and these covenant, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel were uh, always. We see the blood of the covenant is referring to the covenant that God had made with Israel, made with them and, and made with Abraham and and within this covenant, because of the covenant, He says in verse eleven here. He says, I will set your prisoners free. In fact, it says he's going to set them free from this waterless pit. And this speaks directly to the hopelessness that the people were feeling. I don't know how you feel this morning, but maybe you are sitting there this morning and with uh, the events of this week and the events of life right now, maybe you feel overwhelmed and hopeless. I encourage you this morning to be able to identify with this declaration, a pit, a hole in the ground that has no way out, no way to escape, and has no source of water, has no source of refreshing. A waterless pit, a pit that holds us captive and that prevents us from truly running and walking and fulfilling the call of God in our life. Maybe we feel that way emotionally or spiritually this morning, God, He says here that He has come to set the prisoners free from this pit. If we will just call on Him, return to Him. In fact, He says return. This word return, it implies repentance. And so there are times that we need to be able to turn away from what we have been and what we have, has gotten us into the circumstances of now. And we need to return to the stronghold that is God. Return to Him being the strong tower that He wants us to be. To be that one who declares hope even in the middle of hopeless situations. Oh, that we can be bound not by the things of this world and not by these other vices, but we can come this morning and say, God, I want to be bound by You and by Your hope. Because when I am bound with hope, I am always looking up and I'm knowing that, God, that wherever You're leading me, wherever You're taking me, that, God, that it's going to be better than where I used to be. And so we come and we say, God, we need your hope. We need you to restore hope into our families and our hopes and our community, our nation, our world. And we come and we are reminded of that declaration of hope in the freeing, the freedom of prisons, prisoners. I don't know what you are bound by. I don't know what you are struggling with. And, uh, but I want you to know this morning that God is able to not only see you but to redeem you and set you free from that. When I was a teenager, I grew up in Virginia on the coast and got to be able to go tour Fort Monroe. Fort Monroe is a—it uh, was a Civil War fort built uh, on a peninsula, kind of out into the water. In fact, if you're familiar with the. Uh, the events of the ironclad uh, battles of the ships, ironclad the Monitor and the Merrimack. Uh, that battle took place off the coast of Fort Monroe there in Virginia. And, but when you would walk through Fort Monroe and you uh, got to be able to see the places where they would hold prisoners of war, I just remember being struck by the overwhelming uh, cramped space, the lowness of the ceiling, so low that I had to duck, I couldn't even stand up straight as a teenager, that uh, the dampness and the darkness, there were very very little light that shone through, even though it was a beautiful uh, sun-filled day on the outside. It was so dark and dingy on the inside. And I remember being struck by the thought of how depressing it would be to be held prisoner in that fort. Maybe you feel just that same way. It may not be a physical Fort Monroe prison cell, but maybe it is an emotional prison. Maybe it's a spiritual prison. Maybe you uh, feel just imprisoned by your own actions and the own things that you have done. And but regardless of what it is, I want you to know that as Jesus is riding in on the back of the donkey, he is that the people are shouting and rejoicing. They are declaring victory, and they are and God is coming to let you and I know that there is freedom from imprisonment. There is freedom from oppression. Freedom from depression. There is freedom from whatever it may be that is binding you this morning. Will you just trust Him and turn to Him and declare Him as King in every area of your life and He will be able to set you free. And so this morning, we see that God is able to give us victory. We see that He is able to set the prisoner free. And we see... Uh, that he is able to give us goodness and beauty for all. In fact, in the end of Zechariah chapter 9, I want to revisit that for just a moment. I'm sorry, I hadn't read this yet. But at the end of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, Zechariah says this The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown lifted like a banner over his land for how great is goodness is its goodness and how great its beauty we get to come this morning and we get to be reminded that god is talking about the people of israel and through the blood of christ and that spirit of adoption that we can say abba father he's talking about you and i that we can be able to say that god as i am reflected of these things I can be reminded that the Lord you are my God and being my God that you have come this morning to not just me but to each and every one of you out there this morning to be able to say that we are like the jewels of a crown that we are able to be able to come this morning and be able to say how great is the goodness of God how great is the beauty that God covers us and surround us, surrounds us. We're not jewels in a crown because of, of anything that we are, have deserved or are worthy of. But we're able to come and say that God, it is because of His goodness, His beauty, that covers us, that allows us to shine. To shine in the middle of darkness, to shine in the middle of adversity, to shine even in the middle of the darkest of trials and circumstances. This morning, maybe you just needed to be reminded this morning that the beauty and the goodness of God is able to be demonstrated and exhibited through you and I as His followers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as people who are desiring to reflect Jesus Christ in everything that we say and everything that we do, whether that's at home, whether that's at work, whether that is in our community, wherever it may be, we can know that the goodness and the beauty that God gives, He gives it to all if we will just continue to turn to Him, surrender, and declare as the people in, on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Take comfort in that and know that God declares victory in your life, in my life. God declares freedom for prisoners, no matter what it may be that you have found that has bound you. In fact, he talks about there being a double portion of in that freedom. There's going to be a double portion given unto you. So that even when we think, oh, that God, uh, I'm just overwhelmed by sadness or hopelessness or defeat. God says, not only am I going to come, but I'm going to give you a double portion. You know, in Jewish culture, that when a thief was caught guilty of stealing that when he was caught, he was required to give double portion back to the people that he stole from. And so I know that as the enemy, as Satan himself, has come and tried to steal, kill, and to destroy in your life, in your family's life, in in ours, uh, that God has declared as he's writing in on Palm Sunday that says, even though the enemy has tried to steal and, and turn things for evil, I'm coming to be king. I'm coming to be victor. I'm coming to set the prisoner free. And I'm coming to declare goodness and beauty in your life. And whatever it is that the enemy has stolen from you, I have come to declare a double portion being able to be returned back to you. We see it in Job and we see it here being declared in Zechariah that God desires to return a double portion of hope where it's been lost. A double portion of His grace where maybe we've messed up. A double portion of His love where we have felt unloved, a double portion of his victory, a double portion of his freedom, a double portion of everything that God wants to be able to give, he declares it this morning. And so will you allow me to pray with you this morning as we say, God, be king, be Lord, and let your name be great in our lives. God, we praise you and we worship you. Oh God, how wonderful and great that you are, that we can come this morning and say, God, thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you for demonstrating as you rode into Jerusalem, God and the fanfare and the people crying out and rejoicing and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. God, we open our own minds and hearts up to you right now and say, God, enter into every area. Enter in and be king. Be king. We're not looking for what man says you should be like and what, king, what you being king of our lives should be. But God, we're concerned about your word. We're concerned about what you declare in our lives. And God, that we say right now, God, be king. And Lord, in your kingship, Lord, let there be victory, let there be freedom, and let there be goodness and beauty that is exhibited in our lives. God, bless the people as we surrender everything to you. And God, let us not be guilty of comparing, but God, let us find ourselves looking at you and your heart and as we do, declaring your kingship and your authority in every area. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you will, just uh, remain with us for a few moments longer and let us worship with the worship team as we declare and put this into practice how great is the Lord.